Well, in Houston, I'm John Herter. Tuesday, the 19th day in October. Great as always to have you along, everybody. In a nutshell, From the Experts is a compressed virtual networking accelerator, helping people across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. It's like a TED Talk with interactive discussion. So 15-minute expert talk, 20-minute group discussion with you. So what's in it for you? FTE promise if all goes well, your curiosity spark new ideas, accelerate action, and you may have helped yourself and somebody else solve that problem, make a connection and get to the opportunity faster. Because we know making authentic connections and expanding your networks has never been more important to your business and your well-being. Folks, help me welcome our guest expert, Dr. Liz Swigert. Liz is an accomplished business leader with over 20 years experience in strategy, finance operations, and project management, currently partner at PwC's global structuring practice based in Houston, Texas. She is passionate about technology and social entrepreneurship. No doubt, that's why we're here today. Open about her mental journey, Liz is a frequent author and speaker on mental wellness and mental health, especially at work. This season, FTE experts have focused on their challenges critical to back-to-work issues, from adapting to changing buyer behavior to childcare to hybrid workforce solutions, all of which impact productivity, revenue, and growth for corporations. At the core of all this are real people like you and me, from CXO to intern. So question is, how do we foster a workplace environment that looks after the well-being of its number one asset, its people. Liz? Thank you so much for that, John. And I'm just so grateful to all of you for joining today. Thank you for being here. Um, This is intended for anyone and everyone. So what I'm hoping is that those who may be in a position where they're feeling Um, a mental health or wellness challenge that you will be encouraged, you will feel supported. My hope is that those who know someone or think they know somebody in their life who is struggling will maybe find some some words, will maybe find find something that is um, valuable to them in supporting those around them. Um, I'm hoping that those who are dialed in from the, the human relations space We'll find some support there as well. How can, how can we all better support our people? Uh, and business leaders, I hope that there's a word for you in this as well, that there is something you can take and implement, put into action uh, so that you can, you can lead in a way that creates spaces where people can be their authentic selves. They can foster true connection uh, and, and we, can, we can help people to really be their best selves. That's, that really is the goal. Um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to surprise John a little. I'm going to, I'm going to start a little bit differently than I originally had, um, had intended. I, um, as John mentioned, uh, I am a writer. I've, uh, I've written my way through my depression, through my recovery. Um, And I've been able to do it with the help of a wonderful um, writing teacher. And I'd just like to read you a very short piece I wrote about how I experienced depression. Depression is a rock in my pocket. It's brown and smooth and shaped like a robin's egg. I can forget it's there for months at a time. It asserts its presence at the most inopportune moments. Reaching into the folds of fabric for my car keys, I grab the rock instead, and it transports me instantly to the pit of emptiness where the walls are lined with the thick, wet moss of all the life I missed living my life with depression. Um, and as I found out last year, my life with OCD. Um, my, my story begins in adolescence, as I think it does for many who have experienced um, depression and, and other challenges over the years. Um, I, I remember being about 16 years old in New York City. Um, I mean, I was a 16 year old New Yorker, so of course I had a therapist. Um, and I, I remember, um, hearing the word depression and not knowing what that meant for me, what it would mean in my journey, um, 
Did it, did it determine who I was? Was that the outcome of my life? Was it all pre-written and predetermined? I didn't know. Uh, I just knew that I didn't feel right. I didn't feel like what I was told, what I thought I was supposed to feel like. Uh, when I got to college was when I experienced my first major depressive episode. Um, I couldn't get out of bed. And I went to the counseling center and they were, they were very kind. They, um, at the counseling center, they, they gave me, they, they gave me a therapist and then they gave me medication. Um, and that was my first foray into learning about how, um, medication can affect our brains. And I came to realize that I could benefit from medication. And that's something I have benefited from over the years, but that initial medication wasn't it. Um, and I had a very difficult time figuring out how it was that I restored myself to balance um, when, I, when I was so down. And I've been very fortunate. From the time that I was in college, uh, I, went to, I went to Rice University and I was very fortunate that Rice had, a, had an exceptional counseling program that I could access for free as a student. Um, for the next 20 years, I sort of teetered on the edge I've only ever had a handful of what uh, you describe as um, major depressive episodes, those periods of time where um, nothing, I, I felt nothing but numbness. I don't experience depression as sadness. I, I feel it is intractable nothingness. There is only disengagement. There, there is only distance. There, there is no connection. It's like watching somebody live my life. I managed to kind of get through uh, with a combination of therapy when I needed it um, and medication when I started to feel myself slip. And I didn't really believe that I wanted anybody to know. I was very afraid that people would find out and they would judge me harshly. They would, um, I would, I would be denied opportunities. I would be kept out of, I would be kept out of things. So I, I compensated by projecting relentless enthusiasm and energy. Um, I, I was the embodiment of toxic positivity. There were only good vibes. Uh, and I hid, I absolutely hid. And that all started to fall apart um, in August, September, 2018. I began a slide into a major depressive episode um, it began with recognizing that I stopped doing my laundry. My, my laundry is like the leading indicator of my mental health. Um, and, and when I say mental health, I, I want to I wanna be clear about something because we, we toss around the words mental health and mental wellness. So mental wellness applies to all of us. I mean, that is, that is how we endure and persevere and just get through life. And our mental wellness, our mental fitness, it can be, it can be supported in a variety of ways eating well, sleeping, recognizing when alcohol or caffeine are not serving us, getting exercise, yoga, meditation, mindfulness, all of those things can boost our mental wellness and help us get through life. And then there are clinical symptoms. And that's where what I talk about as mental health comes in. That is where we get to a point where our brains betray us and professional and, and greater intervention is required. And so for me, I, I'm able to tell when I am starting to slide into the place where I need, um, I need more support, um, where I will not yoga my way out of it. Uh, when I stop taking care of myself because I stop caring, when I stop caring is, is when I, I am sliding into a place of complete disconnection. And in September, 2018, I stopped doing my laundry and I, uh, I realized, uh Oh, I, I, I know this, I've experienced this before. I will go to the doctor. Um, and I found a clinical psychiatric process, uh, practice because it's really hard to find a therapist. It is, it is almost impossible to find one with availability when you need one quickly. Uh, we are, we are in a place where depending on the health insurance you have almost always through your employer, uh, mental health isn't treated as physical health. And so the access and the availability can be very limited. Um, 
And I was in a place where, frankly, my career was popping. I was George Clooney and up in the air. Like I wasn't stopping for anything. And so I found a practice where I could see somebody, uh, whoever was available, I would go to them. And so that's what I did. And I said, all right, I've got to, I've got to get, I can't stop. I cannot stop. So I need, I need medication. I need something. I've got to keep going. And um, so I went back to my old faithful, which was Prozac. And I was great for about two and a half months. And then I wasn't. And I went back again and I said, it's not working. And they said, well, we'll give you more. I said, okay, that, that's great. That's great. I'll take more. And let's just put that on rinse and repeat. And the cycles got shorter. And I was at a point where every six weeks I was going up on medication and then I couldn't go up on Prozac anymore. So we added Wellbutrin and I couldn't go up on Wellbutrin anymore. So we added Topamax, which is a, a drug originally approved for the treatment of epilepsy, but can also be used as a mood stabilizer. And then I get to June of 2019 and the pharmacy mixes up the pills and my dose of one medication gets cut in half. Um, I had lost my short-term memory. Um, I had, I had tremors from the medication that were so great. Um, I couldn't use stemware because my hand shook. Uh, one of my colleagues who's a really dear friend pulled me aside and asked if I'd been to the neurologist because I had what looked like the beginnings of early onset Parkinson's. And I had to explain, no, no, it's, it's just the side effects of my medication. Um, I, yeah, I, I dropped a fork at dinner and um, that's what prompted her to, to come to me. But I wouldn't stop. I wouldn't take a break because I couldn't. I knew I just, if I, if I just tried harder, if I was just better, if I was just more, if I was just this, if I was just that, what I was experiencing as depression, I perceived as a character flaw. It's not depression lies. And I, I got to this place where I was intensely self-destructive. And again, I didn't stop. I just went hiding and I went so deep in hiding. I hid it from my parents. I hid it from my best friend. I hid it from my husband. I got to November of that year, November, 2019. And I had a week where I could not get out of bed. And I am in a job such that certainly at the time, as long as emails got returned and I dialed into calls, I was never in the office anyway. I, nobody, nobody knew. And I, again, I, I managed to get out of bed just enough to keep my husband and my kids at a place where they realized something was wrong, but they didn't know what, they didn't know how bad. Um, and then it was, was that Thursday morning, Friday, was it Friday? The end of that week, I vividly remember watching um, my mind slip away. Like I, I can actually see it. I experienced it. I felt myself literally losing my mind. Um, and that was when I um, started taking steps to end my life because I just didn't care anymore. And the guilt that I felt um, with my children in particular was crushing. Uh, I didn't want to be around them because I wasn't engaged. And they can, they just, they know, like they know. And it was, um, it was horrific. And I came to, uh, I was very lucky. My, my husband was around um, and he, because of him, I am here. Um, and I made a decision immediately following that, that I was going to quit my job. I was done. So I, um, of, of, of HR for, for partners. And I said, I quit. I'm done. Bye. Um, and his response was really, was really something. It was sort of three parts. The first thing was this incredible outpouring of empathy. Um, he wanted to know if I was physically safe, if I had the immediate support that I needed. Did they, you know, did, did a parent need to be flown in? Was my husband okay? Were my kids okay? Um, immediately, was I, was I safe? And the second thing, and he did, did preface this by saying it might come out a little weird. Um, he, he asked me if this was the right time to be making life-altering decisions. And I said, well, when you phrase it that way, probably not. Um, 
And he, he offered me something I didn't even realize was available. He asked me if I wanted to take a break. And I was like, wait, you can do that? I'm like, yeah, drop everything, go, just go. Um, and that was amazing. But it was really the last thing he said that sort of touched off where I went after. Um, he told me how not alone I was, that there were so many other people going through exactly where I was going through. My reaction was, wow, where the F are they? Because I'm feeling really damn alone right now. Where, where is everybody? Um, and I realized that um, there is such a stigma. Like I, I, I have every resource at my disposal and I still didn't feel that I could be honest about how I was and what was happening with me. And I realized that if I didn't do it, I didn't know who would. And that was when I made the decision to be completely public about what I what I was going through. And so I, I started the blog, I started posting about what I was doing on social media. And then a year later, my break was gonna be 12 weeks. It was 12 months. Um, when, I, when I returned to work um, and I put out um, online, primarily on, on LinkedIn, what I had been through and that I was returned, um, I didn't expect a million and a half people to see that. Um, but uh, John, I'm really glad you did. And that, um, that's why I'm here today. And that's a lot of what my journey just in the last year has really been about. And that is how do I use my story and my experience to the benefit of others? And so how can you operationalize my story, so to speak? Um, to the person who is experiencing depression, to the person who is in a place where things feel intractably disconnected. You are not alone. There is reason for hope. There is reason for optimism. Ask, tell someone, you do not have to go through this alone. And you are, you are not the only person who is experiencing a hard time. Um, for coworkers, for friends, uh, what's been what's been shown to really work is not just asking how are you, but following that up with how are you really. Be present, create the space, make yourself vulnerable, and you recognize you don't have to fix anything. In fact, you are unless this is your professional skill set. I strongly advise you to not try to fix anything. You don't have to. You do not have to have a single answer. All you need to do is be present and make the offer to help connect the person to support. That's, that's what really makes the difference. Organizations, um, particularly in the, in, the human, in the human relations space, policy and benefits. Let's talk about that for a second. So one, what kind, of, what kind of plans are you offering your people and what kind of health benefits cover mental health? What, are, what is the access as well? So it's one thing to say, oh, well, we have mental health coverage. It's another to know that the providers available through your plan actually have availability that they can actually take on patients because it's, it's useless to have coverage that you cannot in any way put into action. Uh, do people know what your benefits are? So this is an interesting one. I got contacted by, the, uh, by a staff person at a competing firm at another one of the, the big four public accounting firms. Um, after I put my story out, um, one of them contacted me and said, gosh, I, I don't think we have any benefits. And I said, ah, no, I, you do, you do. Um, you know what the best place to go find them is? Um, all of the recruiting websites. So all of the sites that the, that the company had uh, for recruiting people, all of the benefits were spelled out there because when you're trying to recruit somebody, you're gonna tell them what all the benefits are. Once you get inside, it can be very hard to navigate to them. 
So what I said was, why don't we go together? We'll go visit the site. We'll see what's available. And then you can go to your HR person and say, I saw this. Please help me navigate to this internally. Um, because it's one thing to have benefits. It's another for people to know what they are, be able to access them and be able to use that access for their benefit. Uh, knowing what is covered and encouraging people to, to recognize like what it is that they get through short-term and long-term disability um, and being able to use the benefits available. If you have an employee assistance program, really understanding what are the counseling services offered through that? What is the degree of training and knowledge and experience of the people who are available to your people? And then leaders, gosh, authenticity, vulnerability, empathy, practicing and creating a space where you can talk about yourself. Now, you don't have to have a dramatic experience to, to make a difference and to, to express that you care and that you want others to know that they can speak up in, the, in this environment but your ability to bring your authentic self and to make yourself vulnerable first, that, that creates an incredible opportunity for people to feel empowered to do the same themselves. So I, I want to end this on a note of hope and optimism, um, particularly with COVID-19 and the restrictions around in-person socialization we have had. Um, Difficult situations have only been exacerbated. Uh, all of us have the opportunity to make a difference in the lives of those around us by offering them our, our authentic selves, by fostering authentic connection, by being present. And some of us are in positions within our organizations to do even more than that. And that is, is what, I, what I encourage you all to do today, where you are, do what you can and be authentically yourself in doing it. Thank you. Thank you, Liz, very, very much. And folks, uh, here's the group discussion question that we're gonna hit in just a second. I put it in the chat. Uh, what are practical ways to foster a work environment where people feel safe to talk about mental health and well-being? what works and what doesn't? But first, today's show is brought to you by our underwriters. Arion, the full services project engineering firm that respect, trusted, and highly valued by select energy industry clients. Unique Ventures, the hybrid energy venture technology accelerator with a unique approach to venture capital. Porter Hedges, attorneys at law, the informed choice for complicated litigation in the energy business. And Interpoint, protecting what you care about most, people, profits, brand, and the environment. And Alliance Benefit Group, building retirement plans for your business that work. Okay, Liz, we're going to go ahead and open up the floor and the discussion. I just posted the discussion question. And hey, we've got CEOs, CXOs, you know, uh, interns. We, it, this is for everybody in your experience. So I did have one question that I'd like to bring forward that was sent in to me earlier. Liz, uh, what's your perspective on managing how clients view your public expression of your journey? Uh, you know, how does your company support that? It seems pretty rare. There's a lot in that question. Um, I would say that first and foremost, I have, I have only been blown, like I, I've, I've only just been blown away by the support that I've gotten. Um, I, I would say that uh, by and large, my clients were some of the most supportive people um, on my journey, many of whom um, shared their own experiences with me privately um, after I spoke about mine. Um, it's funny, in this process, what I've come to realize is that I'm actually a lot less worried about me when I think about, you know, when I think about folks who have, um, who have, who have kind of been through, uh, a, I'll call it a, a journey or a real experience with their mental health and have come out the other side, um, they're benefiting from therapy, whether it's therapy, medication, whatever it is that they've done to, to restore their wellness. Um, we've got the tools to handle it. Like we have, we have a, a whole arsenal at our disposal. 
um, the people I worry about are the ones who don't. Right. The, the folks I worry about are are the ones who who don't have um, who, who don't have that um, ready to go for themselves. So I I would say that you know I. I was very concerned. I was like, oh my gosh, nobody's ever going to trust me with their client again. I'm going to be seen as flaky. I'm going to be seen this, that, and the other thing. I have not, I have not personally experienced that. Now I'm in a very fortunate position, very fortunate position. Um, and I'm lucky that I have, that I, I'm going into this. I had a really strong professional track record. And I'm also lucky that I have incredible partners who supported me right. all along the way. Right. And that made a huge difference. Excellent. So one of the uh, things that was brought forward is you do come from a very professional large firm, but smaller firms, they just don't have access to some of this. And I, I'm interested in hearing from some of the folks that may be in the HR field. Uh, you know, what are you doing out there uh, for small and medium businesses? If you're one of those, it'd be interesting to hear from you, too. So we've opened up the floor Feel free to step forward, state your name, and, and uh, say what's on your mind. That would be great for the conversation. And if I call on you, you can always say pass. That's, uh, that's, uh... So who do we have out there that'd like to, to add anything to the, to the discussion? Hi, John. This is Carrie Carbonetta, and I'm, um, I'm the CEO of a mission-driven company called Allied Up. And... Prior to holding this position, I worked for a very large uh, staffing company, national staffing company, and I just want to, I just want to, I've told Liz this personally, but I just want to applaud her employer's um, handling or, you know, ability to create that space for her to talk about it and to offer her alternatives to leaving her career behind that day. Um, I... I experienced something much different um, through my employer, even though they were they were large and they had, you know, what should have been all the resources available. So I know what a big difference that 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 made. And I am committed in this leadership role. I'm committed to being um, an employer that is talking about um, not only mental health, but any topic that has long been sort of held as a stigma in the workplace. But one of the things that's interesting is with regard to what's available, right? I'm in a startup situation now where we have just eight employees and the, the mental health services um, definitely aren't comprehensive that, that I'm experiencing. So we offer we're only eligible for programs through a company called California Choice right now. And so whatever they have negotiated with providers is sort of what you get. So while we have access to, you know, therapists and, and mental health providers, what we don't have is there's large deductibles associated with that. And I'd also love to hear if there are smaller employers now who have better options available to them. Thank you very Thank you. much, Carrie. Anybody have a, anybody from the HR field have a response about that for Carrie? My name is Tracy Williams. I'm not from the HR field. I'm currently the president and CEO of Songwon International Americas. Now, Songwon is a global company, but each entity is managed locally, and our local offices we we are about 50 employees in the u.s so that that does puts us in a small or mid-sized range for the organization so our turnovers are about 175 200 million but in terms of people we are a relatively small organization but to uh carrie's uh comment one thing we have found in terms of benefits is buying through a broker and maybe offline we can have a chat because we do have a very good uh, broker that we use for our insurance benefits. First, uh, Songwon pays 100% insurance premiums for all our employees. So there's no out-of-pocket healthcare costs for our employees. That also includes their healthcare benefits. So we offer an HSA program, a health savings account, so employees can use as they need to. And we're able to use um, different networks uh, like Principal and Omaha Mutual, some of the larger 
insurance networks. Uh, we're able to, because we use a broker that has access to these networks, our employees are able to use those type of benefits. And I would be happy to share with you, Carrie. Maybe we can share contact information offline. Absolutely. Thank you. Very good. And Liz's story is amazing. I've known Liz through university and college, and it was quite a different uh, feel to hear her story because what we know of Liz during the years when she was uh, hiding very well, she did an excellent job because I was her classmate. I sat on side of Liz and I recall everyone seeing Liz as a beacon in the university. Everyone wanted to be as perfect, as, you know, as good as Liz was. That was our goal, our objective to be as good as Liz. Thank you, Tracy. Appreciate that. Next uh, person up with a comment. Feel free to uh, go ahead. Hi. Uh, first of all, thank you so much, Liz, for sharing that. It takes a lot of courage, and it, it, it just feels so good to to hear someone of your caliber to, to share such a you know profoundly personal story that we can relate to. Um, just in terms of like you know HR and and, and, and getting insurance for mental health, my personal experience has been that this is kind of like a larger systemic issue. Some of the really, the really good um, mental health providers do not like to work with, with, with health insurance. In fact, uh, I went through my, my network one time and it led me to some basement with a long line of people waiting to see the mental health professional. And it just, the, the ratings were terrible. And I would go on Yelp and I see someone with good ratings they're typically hard to access and they definitely don't take insurance. But outside of the systemic issue, I think at, a, at, an, you know, at, at, a, at an office level, working with your coworkers, um, the, the compassion and understanding goes a long way, you know, getting past the stigma. And you don't have to get to a point where, I mean, ideally speaking, it doesn't have to be a point where there's a real hard breakdown before there's compassion. Um, from a personal experience, I remember one time I was on medication that would have me very, very sleepy during the day and I would be in my office and I couldn't help it. I'd just like knock out. But my you know, executives would walk by and they'd see me knocked out of the office. And it was, you know, their reaction was, was sort of like, dang, this guy's lazy. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think he's a good worker. It doesn't matter how hard I work. There's always that, I saw you sleep in your office. And it wasn't until that, you know, that at some point I had to sort of talk with HR and kind of reveal it wasn't very clear to me that I was knocking out. I just knock out and wake up and just get back to work. But when it was found, when I, when I found out there was an issue, um, at that point, you know, I had to to leave the company. And and then when I explained why, I was like, oh, you know, okay, we have a little compassion now. But it didn't have to get to the point where I had to leave the company and go through the stress of you know facing my boss saying that I'm lazy just because he caught me sleeping, you know, because of medicine. Right. Anyways, the, the, the point is, I think, you know, what Liz brought up about compassion within the organization for, for people, um, kind of getting over the stigma, it doesn't have to be a breakdown before that happens. Thank you very much, Atif. So, uh, Mark Freeman, from uh, your perspective, thinking about this, what are your thoughts, if I may ask? Yeah, well, for, first off, uh, definitely appreciate Liz, you sharing your story. And um, I got to know you as an online personality, <laughs> I guess, in a time in my life where um, my family was going through a crisis situation or had just emerged from a crisis situation. So, uh, you know, understanding and seeing that there are a lot of high functioning folks um, that face these challenges as well was um uh, just added added to under you know seeing a more more full picture of of um, what's going on behind the scenes in so many different people's lives that we're just unaware of quite frankly. Um, so really really appreciate that. And I guess you know really one of the, one of the things I wanted to take away from today um, was really how I, I'm I didn't introduce myself but uh, president of a small company uh, oil field services company uh, based here in Houston but we have operations in the U S and Canada. Uh, roughly 350 employees. And, you know, the, the thing that I want to become better at is, you know, number one, I probably need to understand our benefits better. Uh, I've, had, I've had the unfortunate need to utilize them, so I understand them to a certain extent. But at the same time, I want to be able to communicate that better to, to my team. But I also really want to become better at being that um, 
approachable person, approachable leader, and uh, you know, helping people understand that um, if you're going through these things, you're not alone. You aren't alone. Uh, as Liz mentioned, like where the F are these people? Uh, I want people to know I'm someone they can trust when they need them. And not that I can solve their problem, but uh, as Liz mentioned, I'm absolutely here to help them find support. So, um, you know, that, that's, uh, that was one of the things I wanted to, to understand better. So, you know, I was taking some notes here and there and, and uh, uh, captured a few of those nuggets, Liz. So thank you for sharing that. So Mark, just, just as a follow-up, practical steps on how you're trying to accomplish that real briefly? Yeah, so um, talking, um, maybe maybe that's too small, <laughs> uh, but you know, talk, talking to folks on the team, um, we have a, an online platform that we use. It's almost like an internal um, social media uh, channel that we we utilize to communicate, it's similar to Slack, but it's a little bit different. Um, and so I've I've started posting messages on on the Slack line or on this on this online uh, forum, just saying, uh, you know, last month was um, mental health uh, mental health awareness month, I believe. I'm sorry, I'm getting the, the term wrong, but just you know, find, finding opportunities to to just um, use that forum and use conversations with the team to to help them understand like. You know, these, these things happen to people and you're not alone and you don't need to be alone. And if uh, if you ever need support, this is my phone number. Call me and I can't I can't help you, but I can help you help you. Um, so that's that's really uh, the, the, the the practical thing I'm trying to do with with my organization. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Other comments from the field? I've got a something that came through here. It says, by demonstrating vulnerability as a leader, by being agile in how we accommodate, we open dialogue about mental wellness, normalizing counseling. They need to do this the same as we might need a dentist. So other folks out there, uh, we've got all kinds of pros from coaches to, to you know technical leaders. And Solomon Cates, I was interested, uh, you know, so you're CTO and you founded companies and things like that. I mean, what's on your mind here? Well, good question. You know, it's good to see different perspectives from all sort of ranges of size and complexity of an organization. And, you know, the little known secret is we're all humans and we run the machines. Um, and so inside these machines, you know, I think the benefits and finding ways to get you the help you need is a maze it's a labyrinth it's really hard to understand it whether you're working directly with your hr to try to build a better package as we say um, it feels like there's a systemic change that's needed to make it easier for people to find the real care they need um, i've been through crisis uh, i've shared this with liz and some others actually on this call um, where you know i i went into a, a not so safe place in my mind but i found a safe place to be taken to and it wasn't the care i needed it was a, a safe place to finish up my crisis so i think from my perspective there's a whole gambit of different problems that we all face as, as humans, but unfortunately, we try to write it down into policy and procedure and package and so on and so forth. And the real caregivers out there that care a lot, the therapists, the, the mental health you know, practitioners and whatnot, they are also on the same side of the, on the other side of the equation, trying to find a way to work through the machine of, of insurance and other things to give people the care they need. So it really feels like systemic change is needed and a, almost a clean slate start over and, and think about the human perspective and the caregiver perspective uh, as best as we can. So yeah. as a CTO, I just basically go to the solutions part. <laughs> hey, I really appreciate that. Uh, anybody else? Yeah, you got... Uh... <clears throat> Shuruk Shah here uh, from Toronto, um, and similar to Liz, um, you know, I, I took my own leave of absences um, for my own mental illness challenges, um, and you know, I think for me, um, one thing I think practically and and really a focus area that needs to be focused on is is return to work, right? Like, what does return to work look like? 
um, how is that supported um, by both the employer and the employee? Um, and, and, you know, the, the previous comment from, from a previous speaker on, um, you know, some of the medications you're taking might make you feel drowsy during the day and, and what the perception of an employer is on that. Like for me, I know, you know, just waking up in the morning was a challenge uh, with the meds and, and some of the um, symptoms I had um, that, you know, showing up to work an hour, two hours late, um, you know, what's the perception on that, right? And, and what does that look like? Like, I think creating a safe space for employ employees to return to work, I think is critical. Um, and similar to other discrimination type areas, like I think mental health has to be kind of bucketed in there. Um, there's clear discrimination, um, I think, in the workplace on it. And it's just an area that, that we need to protect employees as, as they return to work and, and create that safe space for them. Awesome. Thanks, Jack. Um, Wade, would you go ahead? I see you'd like to bring something forward. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm a neurodiverse and I was uh, diagnosed uh, later in my career in my, I would say in my mid thirties. And a lot of people that are neurodiverse and uh, they go through depression because they just don't understand. And they, they don't understand why either relationships are failing or why they're pushing people away or causing chaos so that they can get the dopamine. And I think that with something that's so hard to really define, I think to me with neurodiversity and depression, just being open about it, being a disability and also being very open about what it enables me to do. And that to me with my team and with whomever, and so with Lime, like Lime Connect, I think the more I talk about it, the more I can make people aware, because we're talking about 10 to 20% of the population that is, that is neurodiverse. So it's not, it's not just, oh, I think I know someone, it's you do. It's just likely they, it hasn't been diagnosed. And the two really can go hand in hand because of the frustration. Hey, wait, in a nutshell, what is neurodiverse for a newbie like me? Sir, so, so it's um, the spectrum of everything from you know your ADHD to autism to dyslexia, um, and um, it's a it's a term. You know, I think why why I like it is because I often hear it, and even in the consulting world, of just like, oh, they are ADHD. It's tough to get time on the calendar, <laughs> or or when someone is like you know, just spazzing out and they're like, oh, you're being, you know, it, it become, it was an, being used as an adjective or like a, a trait, not as the, you know, you know, the physical, you know, problem and disability that actually it is. And again, it's not that it is all bad. There are certainly some incredible traits, right. but knowing, knowing about them and know, having the tools, especially the earlier you can have those, um, it, uh, it certainly would be great. So just being open about, about neurodiversity to me is important and disability. Thank you, thank you very much, Wade. Uh, other comments? Wade, I just want to say thank you so much for that, especially your point about language. Um, it took a long time for me to be diagnosed with OCD. I'm not monk. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an freak. And the number of times a day I hear somebody commenting on, oh, it's just my OCD, they say, as they tidy up their desk. Um, and I'm sitting over here and I'm like, yeah, I would actually really love it if that was just mine. Like, that would be really great if that was, if that was it, as opposed to intrusive thoughts that become obsessions and I lose four hours of my day worrying about my steps. Right. And it's, it, to me, it's so important that we are... Um, really mindful that it's everybody around us. It's us around us. And part of creating that space is using language that does not, does not increase the stigma. It doesn't underscore the stigma. Um, I am not the punchline to a joke. Uh, other questions? Um, David Mullins, uh, if I can pick on you, so David, CEO to uh, uh, Public Media down in Florida, 
And David, what, what are your thoughts around here? What are you guys doing down there? What's your perspective? Uh, well, you know, w, WFSU Public Media, we're fortunate uh, to have the backstop of Florida State University and its human resources uh, resources for our staff we, uh, with employee assistance program and, and the like. John, your question that you posted to the, to the chat is a good one because actually uh, I'm deal or we're dealing with, with uh, an issue with at least one of our reporting staff members who uh, at one point within the last probably six to eight weeks was at a point in their life that uh, they shared with our news director that they were they were ready to, to end their life. And of course, that uh, set off a series of communications amongst our staff of, okay, number one, we need to make sure that they are safe. Uh, we, 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 we assured ourselves that they were safe uh, very, very quickly. And then basically just told the person, uh, do what you need to do to get yourself in an environment of, of comfort and safety. And they, they actually uh, uh, relocated temporarily to their family in Tampa, Florida. WFSU is in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, and, my, you know, my John's question of what, you know, what do you say? Well, how do you start a conversation with someone who you feel is, uh, maybe dealing with some uh, some issues and and I you know I don't I would love to know the answer to that because it's challenging to even consider how to even approach this employee about the subject of their of their issue right uh, we're just trying to make sure that they uh, remain productive uh, for the organization and, and in a safe environment for the time being right. so. Uh, Liz, do you have any uh, wisdom on on what that could be? Uh, wisdom is in short supply, but I have a couple of ideas. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that I've I've found to be beneficial on the receiving end um, is when somebody says starts the conversation off by saying, "Wow, you know, this is just this is just I've been having a really hard couple of weeks." Um, you know, it's just, this has been a lot of, you know, I've got, you know, whether it was over the last year or so, right. I've got the kids at home trying to, trying to school them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, be where I need to be and be supporting people. Um, you know, trying to get my own job done, trying to get, you know, five minutes for myself. It's not, you know, locking myself in the pantry. So, uh, you know, what, what, how are you, how are you finding things right now? What are, what are you doing? How, how are you, how are you hanging in there and give them the opportunity to use your vulnerability as a way to share their own? Because when you come over and everything's great, you know, oh yeah, oh, this, oh, everything, you know, and here's the thing, it's totally okay for things to be great. There also has to be some room for things to be not so great. And that's the invitation. But the invitation is I'm willing to share with you that I am experiencing some things as hard right now and leave and create that open door for someone to, to share the same. Similarly, um, if you ask me, you know, David, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. David, how are you really doing? That's the one that gets them. It's the second time because it shows you mean it. Um, and become a good steward of your face. That, that's, another, that's another one I run into somewhat frequently um, is, is when you know somebody asks, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, not particularly well. <gasps> and all of a sudden it's just like, I mean, it's almost cartoonish. And it's like, oh yeah, you weren't really asking. At which point I completely shut down. Like we're, there's nowhere to go here. Yeah, good. So, so being a good steward of your face. Being right. a good steward of your face. And, mm -hmm. and you know, again, human reactions are human reactions. That's totally cool. But if, if somebody's going to open up to you, um, give them the whole experience of being able to open up. It's body language. It's your face. It's your gestures. Um, and don't go into automatics problem solving mode. So if somebody starts to tell you 
The goal is not then to figure out how you solve it, because the truth is they probably already have a lot of the solutions at their fingertips. Um, you're there, you're there to listen and support and guide to, to people who are trained to provide the help that they need. Thank you. So I know we're running just a little long, but hey, when something's good like this, you do. Uh, do we have any other comments from the group, something that you'd like to share on this subject? There's more of an infrastructure than just your job. There's all the people around you besides those with whom you work. And it doesn't necessarily have to be through HR, especially in a small organization where HR may just be a bookkeeper and someone who answers the phone. Really good point, Lewis. Thank you. We're all, it's all of our responsibility is the bottom line. Thank you, daddy. Lewis is my dad. Anything else from the group? I've got a couple questions. Uh, David likes, be a good steward of your face. Okay. Uh, last, going once, going twice. Uh, just one comment. Uh, no father was ever prouder of his daughter than I am of you, Bear. Love you forever. <laughs> Thank you, Daddy. I Thanks, Louis. So, hey, folks. What we're going to do is, uh, first of all, Liz, thank you very much. Uh, how was the talk and the discussion today? Please take 30 seconds to share FTE with others. We're going to send out the uh, uh, link to the survey here in just a minute. Forward this newsletter that we sent out to you. Follow us on LinkedIn. Invite your connection to our events when it makes sense to you. Do you know someone, uh, maybe it's you, like Liz, who needs to share a current challenge and get feedback from the network? Hey, or maybe you'd like to join our underwriter team. Now, have a virtual presence and community with FTE in a unique way that showcases your thought leadership and brand. Just contact us. Next on FTE, December 1st, we have the Future of Technology miniseries starting up with leveraging virtual reality technology into immersive experience solutions, led by Dr. Adipad Virdi, who is the real virtual reality product leader at Facebook. Hey, did you miss an FTE show in the past? Are you looking for new, fresh content? Check us out on demand, on podcast, and on video. Well, folks, we are out of time. Thanks once again to Dr. Liz Swigert and all of you for making FTE Tuesdays the smartest 45 minutes in your day. Thanks, and we'll see you on the next show.